welcome to the Halliday Wine Companion Podcast. This is our space to chat about wine without all the fluff, from how to taste and describe it to how to pair it to that dinner party you're hosting next weekend. We'll be chatting to industry professionals from across the country, tackling all things wine from a palatable perspective. I'm Tom Carr, your host, and I'm part of the team here at Halliday, and this is By the Glass. Good afternoon. It's uh, a Friday. I've got a glass of wine in my hand and I am joined by a rather fabulous guest, but we will get to that in just a second. Uh, guys, we're steering a little off track today. I am actually joined by Richie Vandenberg. Now, for those who don't follow Aussie rules football, like myself, Richie is a former captain of the Hawthorne Footy Club. And I know what you're thinking, how is this at all relevant to wine? Well, he's also the co-founder of the Hidden Sea Wines. But that's not even why we've necessarily got him here today. Plastic pollution is a huge problem globally. And while we'll get into some of the facts and figures shortly, Richie and his team have embarked on a mission to remove uh, and recycle one billion single-use plastic bottles from our oceans by 2030. Now, these conversations are really important, so when this initiative crossed my desk, it was a bit of a no-brainer. Please welcome Richie. Good afternoon, Tom. Absolute pleasure to be here, mate. Love your work. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Hope you've also poured yourself a glass now. I I do have, mate. I've I've poured a a Pinot Grigio. (laughs) Perfect, Um, because we'll be sipping on that all afternoon. Uh, Richie... (laughs) Mate, I want to spend the vast bulk of today's show discussing this initiative, but I've got to start your transition from footy to wine. Yeah, it uh, probably might uh, puzzle a few, including myself. But no, <laughs> look, there's, <laughs> there's a pretty natural link. I grew up on vineyards and my family are still all um, wine grape growers. So then I went off and had a little bit of that uh, in my blood. Uh, and while I was playing football, uh, I developed a passion for wine uh, and ended up collecting a lot of wine and then thought my career post-football, I'd like it to be in the, in the wine industry. And, and while I've still got the vineyards, I thought it'd be great to go and do something extra, which was to make the wine, so go to the next step. And um, here we are. Whereabouts were your family's vineyards? Uh, they're up in Wentworth near Mildura, so where the Murray and the Darling Rivers meet. Ah, beautiful little pocket of the world. It is. It's a. It's an amazing place up there. Uh, quite different to what we're doing with what we'll be talking about today in terms of wine grape growing, but it's a, an amazing region, Mildura. Yeah, fabulous. Because we're heading across to South Australia, I believe. Um, but sure. we'll get to that shortly. So, <laughs> Richie, I know absolutely nothing about football. Um, I only know one other player, and that's a, uh, a very good uh, mate of mine, Clint Bizzle. And I don't know if he's around your vintage, the old Bizman. I played he, against Clint. There you go. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I worked with his um, wife, Jennifer, for a very long time. So, And I've asked Clint my fair share of stupid AFL-related questions. But I, what I have gauged from him is that it is a bit of a lifelong community AFL, people past and present. Are you still involved in the game these days? 
Yeah, I think Clint is absolutely bang on. You know, football is a game of passion and it brings a lot of people together. And interestingly, um, wine is exactly the same. But yeah, I am. I, I'm a, a current sitting member of the of the Hawthorne board. Oh. Uh, so that is my current involvement, which is fantastic. So, you know, the footy club was amazing to me over many years. I had a 10-year career. And now this is my opportunity to, to give something back. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that as a little bit of a, a break away from what we're doing in the wine space. Yeah, amazing. I want to launch into it because that's a really good peg in. Now, a few facts I pulled together leading into today's interview. Now, Greenpeace reports that about 8.3 billion tonnes of plastic has been produced since the 1950s, which is the weight of roughly a billion elephants. Now, and of that, only uh, about 9% has been recycled, 12% has been burned, and the remaining 79% has ended up in landfill or the environment. Uh, Up to 12.7 million tonnes of plastic enters the ocean every year. And that's like equivalent to, they said, something like a truck load worth every minute. Uh, There are five trillion pieces of plastic in our oceans, enough to circle the earth over 400 times. And I read, uh, finally, that of the two million plastic bags that are used every minute worldwide, the average time of use for those plastic bags bags is just 12 minutes. Richie, it's really easy to hear figures like this and feel completely overwhelmed and paralysed because you want to be able to do something. What do you say to people who feel like that? The statistics, Tom, are alarming and it is a, pro- it is a problem that has really started to escalate in the 2000s. It's becoming more and more uh, mainstream in terms of people understanding it. And I suppose for Justin and I, the way we got onto the journey was we started to learn this with our connection to the ocean, which we might get to later. I'd explain it to you this way. The problem wasn't created by one person and therefore the solution isn't going to be fixed by one person. So if we just look at it and say all we want to do, each and every one of us, is be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And if you look at it that way, then you feel like you can make you're making a meaningful contribution. Anything other than that, and it does become overwhelming. And I think a lot of the climate crisis, if, you know, the the plastic, just general degradation is the only way it can be dealt with is on a person-by-person basis. Yeah, I think that's such such a great way of looking at it because I've spoken to a few friends about this, one in particular, and we've been chatting a lot about um, sustainability and and, uh, human uh, impact on the climate, et cetera. And you do always circ- circumvent back to that whole it, that whole notion of just being completely overwhelmed and almost paralysed, you know. So what you've just said is so bang on, which brings me to my next point, which is your initiative, uh, the Hidden Sea. Now it blends your love of wine with your desire to tackle plastic pollution globally. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So. Uh, I think we touched on my passion for wine earlier on, and when we started off on our on our journey, one of the things we wanted to do was make great wines um, for our friends and our friends of friends. But we also wanted to do it um, with a higher purpose in mind, and we've always had that within our company. And it was how can we then take that out to the consumer and make something that is meaningful to the consumer and easy to understand. 
And that's what started our journey in terms of what is the, one of the biggest problems facing the ocean and, of course, the brand being the hidden sea and the story of the whale and Kunawara being the old seabed, et cetera, that's our link. So if you take the brand's provenance of being part of the ocean and then us educating ourselves on one of the greatest problems facing the ocean, we started to develop this real affinity with wanting to tackle the plastic pollution problem. And that's how we've ended up there as a company. And of course, you know, both Justin and I have got our own personal stories of, of that connection as well. And I feel like we should have probably, now that you mentioned that, for those at home who don't know the story of the hidden sea and the origin of it, could you just touch on that briefly for us? Yeah, so in addition to what, what, I've, what I've just mentioned there, we're based in, the, in Coonawarra, which is on the limestone coast of South Australia. And 26 million years ago, that was covered by the Great Southern Ocean, and Coonawarra is now roughly 100 kilometres inland from the current coastline. So the vineyards are sitting on what was the old seabed, play on words, the hidden sea. Being an old seabed, there's limestone, and limestone uh, has... Uh, red loam over the top, but limestone leaches water, which creates caves, and still to this day lay in a vineyard in Rattenbully, full-size fossilised whales, 26 million years old. Wow. Now, 100 kilometres from the current uh, coastline down in Road and Mount Benson, where we also saw some of our, our, our fruit. So it's just quite an extraordinary story of history, mm. and that's the provenance and the connection to the brand. And interestingly, my family, um, we, we, we're Dutch descendants, uh, we were shipwrecked off-road back in uh, the 1800s and my great-great-grandfather Ari walked from uh, Rogue all the way up through to central New South Wales. So we've got a, quite a tie to, um, to that part of the world. Wow. I, I tell you what, I, I remember going to Rogue back at university and uh, – it just feels so remote, but God, it's bloody beautiful. Yeah, it's and and you know the coastline down there—that's where you see those beautiful blue tur- turquoise waters, and you just go, "This is what it should always look like." Absolutely. And unfortunately, um, there are some real hidden beasts in there. Richie, why are you so passionate about this particular cause? I grew up in the in in the country, so I wasn't particularly attached to to the ocean. Um, but I've lived, I've lived down in Melbourne now for the better part of my life. However, I, I developed a real affiliation early days for, would you believe, kite surfing? <laughs> but then I got into, uh, <laughs> then I got into um, ocean kayaking and uh, I now do that with a group of friends and we've been training for many years to do the uh, 2020 Molokai. Now, yes, the, the year is right, 2020. Uh, so we, we were training uh, a big group of us, and I'm not sure if you understand what ocean kayaking is. It's, it, it's typically downwinding, so you've got a very skinny ski and it's, it's a form of kayaking where the wind is behind you and the waves are behind you and you go point to point. Yeah. And so Molokai is going from the island of uh, Molokai to the island of Oahu over in Hawaii, which is a 52-kilometre open ocean you know, world championship race. I'm certainly not world championship quality. They get you wrong. But we, we've therefore spent an enormous amount of time in the ocean and that, you know, just really binds that connection over time. And unfortunately, we didn't get to go because of COVID. Yeah. So we trained to go this year, 2021. That didn't happen. So now we're training to go <laughs> next year. 
Uh, I get a funny feeling it mightn't be until 2023, but hey, we're out there, we're doing it. I, uh, I am fascinated with the ocean just as much as I am fascinated with space, but being out on the open water just it does terrify me slightly. <laughs> no, it does. And then, look, the overlay of that for me, and you've, you've reeled off a whole heap of stats before, and the stats are alarming, and they just go on and on and on. But the one that really gets me is, is the WWF um, study which where they've reported that we're consuming what could be considered up to a credit card of plastic each and every day, uh, each and every week, every one of us. And they're finding it now in a lot of our food sources, bags of rice, water. There are traces of microplastics in just about everything we're doing and coming from a you know, playing Australian rules, elite football and, you know, an elite lifestyle, you're like, oh, geez, we, you pay so much attention to what's going in your body, even with the way we make wines these days. And yet we could be ingesting all this plastic really unknowingly. So it, it needs to be addressed. There's a lot, lot more that needs to be learned. It's fascinating. I, I did see that stat around human consumption of microplastics. And I just thought to myself, how did we get to this point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it, is, it is crazy. But I think you touched on it, you know, the plastic... Plastic's relative, it's very new in terms of the evolution, right? So it is something that's only been around for the last 70 odd years. And we probably think like things like tobacco and asbestos and various other products without being too alarming here. But we, you don't realize the gravity of the problem until it's much further down. Yeah. Um, much further yeah. down the line. I think plastic's going to prove to be one of those products. Well, look at the that's damages. That's not to say we can't find ways to, to, to deal with it too. I, I do believe that. You know, we're we're only one part of one part of trying to fix the problem, which is really acknowledging the fact that this plastic that's in the ocean's got to come out. Yep. And I know a lot of companies are doing the work on better technology around plastics and how can we replace plastics and and not producing it in the first instance. There's so many other great, fantastic things that can be done. We've just chosen the one thing that, that really connects us. And that's through getting it out of the ocean. Richie, you've partnered with a Denmark-based project called Resea. Now, you've partnered with them uh, so that they'll hold you to account, so that you'll deliver on the promises you've made. Can you tell us, I was reading about them and they sound incredible. Can you tell us, for the people at home, a little bit about Resea? So the Resea project was set up specifically to address the issue of plastic pollution in, in our oceans and rivers. And, of course, a lot of, a lot of pollution um, starts in towns and cities and finds its way into rivers, which finds its way into the oceans. And the Resea project was set up um, to be a collection arm using local people in local communities, typically fishermen, um, who then go and physically collect the plastic uh, and remove it. They've all, they're all using technology so they're trapped and if you've got the bottle, you'll see there is a QR code. If you scan the QR code, that will take you to where that plastic is being collected. And then there is a blockchain technology which has been audited by a company called DNBGL so that through every step of the process, we understand where that plastic has been picked up from and then where it is in its destination, in its you know, final process of being recycled. So that's what the Resea project does. They collect and then have a very documented, audited, verified system to ensure that the plastic is, is going where we say it's going or where they say it's going. I also love that they, in doing that, that they create 
jobs in these communities and they provide an income that then supports these people and their families and they're educating the community at the same time. Like it's, you know, the effects are far greater than just the collection of plastics out of the ocean. And that's what we loved about the Reseed Project and do love about the Reseed Project, committed to the environmental cause. So if you look at what we're playing in, wine is something we're passionate about, making a small contribution uh, each and every one of us to the environment, then you've also got this social element to it all as well. And you've picked up a few things off the website there. There are some fantastic stories of how um, these people's lives have changed as a result of being able to now grounds that were no longer, and you've seen some of the images of, of where these plastic where this plastic comes from, grounds that were no longer as fertile as they were for fishing, they're now collecting plastic and making you know up to 63% more than the, than the average wage by collecting plastic. And the Reseed Project's really committed to ensuring that their standard of living lifts as a result of being a part of this company. And that's really important. So, Richard, do you know what, uh, what countries we're referring to, like that, that Reseed are present within? Yeah, so we've started off, they've started off in, uh, in Indonesia, which is where you'll see when you scan our codes. Uh, once they get the systems and the full verification for the process was uh, last year. Uh, and so now that that's all complete, the next step will be to start looking at, okay, what where, what other geographies do we start to, to build this out into? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I was, I was reading. Well, it, it's a really good point around, and we get asked this question a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's not relevant to where, where I live here in Australia or yeah. to America or to to, to Great Britain or, or countries that we sell in. And, and, of course, there is only one ocean is, is one answer to that. But I, I think the other alarming stat that not a lot of people understand is first world countries like ours, and we were doing it by up until last year, I think they, they stopped it, mm. um, Great Britain, America, all ship our excess plastic to countries like Indonesia and they then try to deal with it. Mm. So, you know, we, we also need to ensure we can stop that from happening. But so it is our problem because our plastic is ending up in these third world countries and they're trying to process it and they're finding it very, very difficult to process. And a lot of that does end up eventually, monsoon rains, et cetera, ends up back in uh, river systems which ends up in the ocean. I just don't think that the average consumer even knows that, you know. They, which, they don't know. No. And, and I think we'll start to find uh, the, the listeners will, <laughs> it's a bit like the red car, once they hear about this problem, you'll start to become more and more aware of it and you'll, you know, people will be educated on all of these issues over the next couple of years. I'm absolutely certain of it. Yeah. A small company like ours will be very hard to, to, to get that message out there, but I'm sure some, some bigger companies with more horsepower than us will really start to push this message. Well, the more businesses that Resee partner with, the better. You know, the message just gets out Correct. there. Uh, Richie, you guys are claiming that for every bottle of Hidden Sea wine that you sell, the equivalent of 10 plastic bottles will be removed from our oceans. Now, I know you've touched on it, but how does it work? Like logistically, I just want to know the connection between I buy a bottle of wine, 10 bottles are removed. Can you give me sort of a concise link between those two acts? Yeah, absolutely. So we, this was a big part of it for us, which is what we love about the Reseed Project, was for the consumer to feel like they can make a difference, it has to be very easily quantifi- quantifiable, understandable and easy to communicate on the bottle. So that's the one in 10 message. So what we do is, is Reseed has a per kilo rate for collection. So we 
calculate that back to um, a, bo- a bottle of wine or 10 plastic bottles. So then you've, it's a conversion up to weight and a dollar rate, and we pay Reset Project the dollar rate, and that removes the um, plastic from the ocean. Yep. So for every bottle, there's a, there's a contribution from the sale of every bottle going to Reset, which yep. then removes the plastic. So how are you guys tracking? You've you've sort of got a real big, bold ambition by 2030, which is fabulous. How are you guys tracking? Are you uh, on track to meet that? Yeah, so the goal is uh, is 1 billion bottles or equivalent um, by 2030. So it is quite bold. So we started this collection uh, process last July and we're now up to 6.5 million bottles equivalent. Um, and or equivalent uh, removed. So uh, our run rate needs to, to improve. But, look, we've only just started on the journey and we've got some fantastic uh, retailers on board globally, which are all absolutely in their infancy. But that's the goal and uh, we're right at the start of the journey. But we've got some good momentum, which we're really proud of. And once you reach this, and you will reach this milestone. We'll get there. Absolutely, you will. What's... Next, uh, is the Hidden Sea as a wine label going to be behind initiatives like this and other initiatives in future or will it still sit very much in this realm and stay in this realm? What's the future look like for the Hidden Sea? You should come and join some of Justin and my strategy sessions, Tom, because <laughs> there, there are, well, there are two, two, a couple of different ways you can take it, right? And so one of the ways is you look at the brand, the Hidden Sea, and you say, um, what's next is a bit like what a thank you water have done. Let's get proof of concept with the wine, that it works, that it resonates with the consumer, that we're doing something meaningful and that enough people out there care about. And once you've built the brand, then you can go into whatever other category you like to continue to solve the same problem. Or you could become more known for being a purpose-driven, environmentally, socially conscious brand that then, once it achieves a certain goal, starts to turn its attention to something else. Um, so as we see here today, 10 years is or a billion plastic bottles is, is a long way and, and we both want to be uber-focused on, on, on achieving that first. Yeah. And then as, as we evolve, we will solve for that problem. So what would success look like for you? Apart from the obvious, which is hitting that target, but what would success look like for you with the Hidden Sea? It's, it really is. It's a great question. We get asked all the time, what's your end game, right? And, and Justin and I sit back and we go, we don't know. We, we've got a goal. It's a billion plastic bottles out of the ocean. And, and we've thought about it a lot. There is a simple answer. And I think what we want, is we want to have like a real sense of fulfilment out of this ourselves, but then the community that we create. And you see, if you've got an engaged community, community, and, and we're all f- feeling quite fulfilled with what we're doing and enjoying it, I think that is the ultimate goal. Because it's not about it's not about the. I don't want to start any cliches, but it's not about the destination. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic <laughs> to keep everyone focused yeah. to get us all going in the same direction. That's that's fantastic. But I'll tell you what, mate, we've all been through enough hard times to know that if you don't enjoy the journey, uh, it might not all be worth it when you get to the end. So we need to ensure that, you know, we're having, we're, we're getting that sense of fulfilment all the way along. And the stories yeah. that you touched on before with those, those guys um, in Indonesia and the change to their lives socially, you know, they're the little kicks along the way. You go, mate, how cool is that sitting at the dinner table, not just talking about the wine we're drinking, yeah. but some of the other impacts that you're having. 
I'd almost think in some ways that win is just as positive, upskilling people, um, lifting people's uh, quality of living. That to me is um, just just as important because education and knowledge is power and that can in turn be put back into initiatives like this. So I think it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're just testing that the, the hypothesis that capitalism and environmental social causes can coexist at scale. You know, yeah. can, can you build a business that, that is environmentally and, and socially conscious can make a real difference because the, the, the more successful the brand is, the, the, the better chance you've got of tackling the problem. Um, and that's why Reese Project is, is very important to us because they hold us to account. So, so our consumer understands that I know these guys are doing what they say they're going to do and they feel good about that fact. They don't have to worry when they peel back the onion skin that the, that the plastic's not being pulled out. It is. Yep. So that, that's why that is just so very important as a, as a part of this whole process. And does Reese, uh, are Reese uh, quite, do they look at your proposition quite critically? Like, because obviously they're going to align with you um, as a platform. Do they look at it quite critically and go, okay, yeah, this all seems legit, we will partner with you. I mean, what sort of analysis goes on behind the scenes before the two brands merge? Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's, there's a lot, yeah. But, you know, they, they really they really do take the time to make sure that there's a, a shared sense of values and belief systems and then there's constant communication. It's not just about them ticking the box and taking the money. They, they need, it's their brand. As well, so they have to trust in our brand um, because we're we're out there representing their brand each and every day. So you you know you've got to make they, they need to be really comfortable that um, that we're also going to do what we say we're going to do. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Richie. It wouldn't be by the glass if we weren't knocking back a few delicious vinos, and we've <laughs> gone from tackling the world's problems now to you know actually trying some of the wine that uh, helps solve some of these bigger picture issues. We've got in front of us a 2021 Chardonnay and a 2021 Pinot Grigio. Let's start with the uh, Italian varietal. Yes, I'm glad you said that because that's the one I poured. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> so let's start with the Grigio. Uh, now, I've got it in front of me. Can you give me a little bit of background on this particular wine? Yeah, so the Limestone Coast is a cool climate region. We do, being a cool climate region, we're looking for that, um, you want the crispness, the light and crispness, and you really want the, the aromatics to come out. Um, Pinot Grigio, of course, there's Grigio and Gris. This is Grigio, so we've gone for the, for the drier, crisper style. And then really it's about ensuring you get the aromatics and you get that nice, light, crisp style, easy drinking style, quite an on-trend style is what we're looking for. Uh, regions, we're talking here out of uh, Pathway, Rattenbully and Mount Benson, which is right next to Robe. I get a lot of pear mm. Mm. and a bit of stone fruit. It is, um, it's got a really nice um, acidity to it as well. It's actually, yeah, I, I feel like I should be outside having a picnic. <laughs> I, I think Grigio, if you can get that, that pear and peach um, uh, fruit, coming through, but then get the nice acidity. That's that Grigio style that we're looking for, and, and I think the guy's done a really good job with this one. Yeah. Stephen I, I, do a fantastic job. I love a uh, like that sort of the acidity that makes your mouth water, you know. Uh, yum. Uh, 
And but you've got to want to come back for it, right? So yeah. <laughs> quench the thirst. Got to be balanced, yeah. And now that picnics are back on the agenda in Melbourne, <laughs> exactly. you know, <laughs> happy days, happy days. Uh, I'm not sure how you get uh, five adults out of two houses, but anyway. <laughs> and apparently no booze either. So you know, this, this is the stuff that we <laughs> just keep it home. Um, now the Chardonnay, your 2021. Uh, Chardonnay. Yep. What should we expect from this wine? Also, love a little bit of background on it. So Chardonnay, I love Chardonnay. Um, one of my favourite wine varietals, of grape varietals. I love it. And the reason is you, you get to play with fruit and you get to play with texture and mouthfeel and that is the beauty of, of Chardonnay. And so we're trying to get something that's quite fruity but yet nice and textural on, on the palate. Uh, it's stirred on leaves. Uh, once again, Padua is a fantastic region for Chardonnay, a little bit, of, little bit warmer than regions like Mount Benson and even now down in Mount Gambia where you get this nice crisp acidity and you're going for those stone fruits again. And I think the Chardonnay expresses that with a really lovely mouthfeel. I was going to say I detect quite a lot, like not a lot, but I detect, I do detect vanilla in it. Yeah, 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 from the oak, right, yeah. And, 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 you know, the big wooded Chardonnay style, uh, which Australia became very known for, I think it's been well documented that we, we, we've had to go away from that. But we're starting to see that swing back where people are like, after the, the, the avalanche, are looking for something with a little bit more interest in it. And just introducing the oak back into Chardonnay, I think, is really helping with that. So you've done well to pick that up, Tom. I, I love that you you referenced Savalanche. I only uh, I'd, I'd never heard the turn of phrase before until we did an interview on uh, Savion Blanc, and uh, the gentleman Stuart uh, referenced Savalanche, and <laughs> that was a cracking term. But you're right. Now we're moving to more the, more of those complex styles. I mean, even even with Savion Blanc and Fumé Blanc, uh, Chardonnay, same thing. I mean, I, we didn't episode which went to air last week on malolactic fermentation and oh, how great yeah how there's yeah, such a and, and that malo which no doubt your listeners would have heard last week gives you that nice textural mouthfeel yeah, yeah yeah absolutely i i am a i bloody love a chardonnay and that actually a question that we ask every guest is what are your three favorite varietals to drink or styles of wine yeah, so I'm, I am going to stick with a with a, a textural Chardonnay. Yep. Um, and I, 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 regionality wise, interestingly, I, I like some of the Victorian stuff. Don't tell oh, me. Oh, good man! You're going to say the Peninsula? Are you going to say the Peninsula? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can I drop? Can I drop one of my favourites? Oh, what is it? What uh, is it? Drop it! Drop it! Oh uh, no! I love by far. I love oh, the stuff. Yeah, they beautiful doing. wine. Beautiful wine. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, and uh, and of course you know a, a nice no, no I'm gonna I'm gonna go Chardonnay and then I've really been I've, I've always been a big Shiraz man but I think that's going back to my early days of starting to collect wine yeah uh, and I'll put the the Shiraz and Cabernet together there and I think some, at price points I think you know up to about fifty dollars in Australia um, Shiraz absolutely shoots the lights out and then once you get up over there Cabernet just like oh. blows you away is the way I sort of see the two. And then uh, a bit like everyone, this, some of this lighter style, um, uh, I tried, you know, a Saparavi, not that that's a lighter style, but uh, I had some great Gamays and Pinots recently. Mm. And I'm a bit like everyone. I'm starting to probably just 
branch out a little bit and try some of these newer styles. Yeah. You know, they're not new necessarily to us, they are. <laughs> it, yeah. It's funny, actually. I uh, went out to record an episode with the lovely Sarah Crow from Yarra Yering. And uh, she, her uh, dry red number one, one wine of the year um, at the Holiday Awards this year. And it's the first time I've had a lot of Yarra Valley Cabernet. And I went around to a few wineries, tried some Yarra Valley Cap- Cabernet. I am totally hooked. Yeah, yeah. No, they, with the, the Yarra Yering, they do it, they do it ex- exceptionally well. And I mean, there's some cracking Chardonnays out of there as well. Oh, so, sensational. Yeah. And yeah, we're very spoiled, aren't we? Yeah. We haven't even touched on the Mar- Margaret River or Hunter Valley or anything like that. I know. That's so. the other thing as well. We haven't even touched on the other bloody region. Um, <laughs> so, so look, we can sit there and chat about wine or afternoon. I wanted to ask you, so for people at home that want to support this initiative, how do they go about it? Yeah, well, in this country, <laughs> um, <laughs> the best way so far is, is, is online through our Website, um, the Hidden Sea Wine. We've got a trial going with uh, BWS up on the northern beaches of New South Wales, and hopefully that goes well for us and then we can get some national distribution. But we do have uh, national distribution um, <laughs> for the on-premise, but it hasn't really been, hasn't really uh, got started yet as a, yeah. as a result of COVID, given yeah. just the, um, the infancy that we're in. So, look, let's stick with the website for now, and um, we, we hope you're going to see it in BWS um, over the course of the next 12 months. Yeah, fabulous. So, guys, listeners at home, uh, the Hidden Sea, Google it and know that for every bottle that you polish off on a Friday night while you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> you are contributing something great. So, Richie, thanks so much for joining us on the show. It was um, bloody fabulous. No, th- thank you, Tom. I've had a had a good time and didn't even drink too much Grigio, which is a bit of a concern. But, uh, plenty of time left in the day. I was going to say it's only like four o'clock or something. You got plenty of time to knock it, <laughs> knock a few bevies off. Uh, thanks again, mate. Uh, and we would love to touch base with you um, in the time ahead and see how you guys are tracking. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you all next week. Uh, have a wonderful weekend as always, and. Rack a bottle. See you later, guys. Bye.